you know, I'll just start. Um, if I was in Fiddler on the Roof, the gentleman would look at me and say, Avram, that's not talking, that's babbling. <laughs> There's always a line from Fiddler on the Roof that fits every occasion. And it, often when I talk, I hear that guy with his hands going to me like this. But I actually have something to share with you that I believe is from God's Word clear today. And that's where we're going to go right now. Is that okay? We have been sharing in John 15, reading and being filled, I think, by his word. Jesus said, abide in me, you can bear no fruit without me, being connected to the true vine. And I want you to bear much fruit. I've chosen you, I've called you, and I've ordained it and appointed you to bear fruit. And this is how men will know you're my disciples in John 13, by the love you have one to another. And he talked about it again in John 14 and now in 15. The last verse we read, these things I command you in verse 17, that you love one another. So apparently love is a great fruit of God's spirit working in our lives. And the expression of that love is this beautiful thing that Jesus wants to do. God is not just love. He is love. He's also completely righteous and holy and kind, and he's the God of judgment. He's everything in a completion. So he's not one aspect. Some people want to just focus on one aspect of who God is, but Jesus does focus strongly here on his love working through us. And then he switches gears, maybe, as if to say, oh, and by the way... <laughs> Verse 18 through about 25. If the world hates you, I just stop there for a minute. Wait, time out. Wait, 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 wait. He's already been giving these guys hard things, right? But he's been giving this beautiful message here about biding in the vine and bearing fruit and love. Now, let me also say this, he says. If the world hates you, uh, why would anybody hate me? Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And that doesn't mean just anything you want to say. It's to the disciples preaching his gospel, teaching his word. But nonetheless, if they've kept my word, they'll keep yours. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. It would not be their outward problem. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Well, these disciples are on a real roller coaster. <laughs> because one minute Jesus is telling them the beauty of their fellowship together and his love for them and his fulfillment in their lives and his eternal purpose. And then the next minute and the next breath now, he's telling them this amazing, challenging thing. You know, if you're a pastor and you're trying to find each week 
uh, praying over reading verses and chapters to try to find something that you've sensed from everybody, their felt needs of what people feel they need to be touched by God, or that you want to come up with a series or something, and I'm not faulting series about subjects, etc. Probably <laughs> you're not going to go to John 15, 18 through 25. I love the fact that we go through the word because it forces me to deal with the scripture as it's written. And I also happen to believe it it helps you as well, all of us. And I also happen to believe that regardless of where we are, the word of God will meet us. It doesn't it doesn't it isn't about us figuring out what the part of scripture is that will help us automatically. Now, are there promise books and are there ways to go find scriptures directly for what you're going through? Yes. But how would you do that in a congregation? Well, what's your need? Well, what's your need? Well, what's your need? Well, what's your need? The Word of God has this amazing effect and power because it's alive. It's fluid. It's Jesus-breathed, Holy Spirit-breathed, and he'll meet you where you are. So my confidence today is, that well, Rick's really got a handle on this, and he's going to really help everybody. My confidence is we're reading God's Word And depending on the openness of our hearts and the measure that we give to it, we're going to receive what God has for us. And if I didn't have that confidence, I'd get right out of here and go sell shoes and not do it very well. All right. So if the world hates you, it hated me first, and it'll hate you because you belong to me. There's no Pollyannaism in the the Bible. Whatever people say, oh, it's just filled with platitudes and stuff. I hand them a Bible. I haven't really done this, but I will. (laughs) Show me these platitudes. Even in the poetry in the Bible, that is poetry. Is it just poetry? When you read the Psalms, man, they're bloody and tough and challenges, and my tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth, and my tears have been on my bed all night, and the wicked are coming against me, and I've sinned against you, and I don't know what to do but turn to you. Are you with me? The Bible is not a uh, thematic story of, and everything just works out fine because we just are, you know, there's butterflies and flowers. If somebody thinks that, they've never read it. Jesus never lied to us, did he? Other people will try to make things fit so you feel good about it, trying to fit into what you might think or feel. But Jesus knows what you need. He knows what you need. He's he's the truth, and he came to bear witness to the truth, and he never lied. Are you scandalized when you're rejected by people? Well, that's a pretty broad question. Of course we are. It's troubling when people reject us. But are you scandalized? I mean, it just kind of shakes your bolts loose when somebody rejects you for your faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to learn something today. Look at Jesus. What did he do to deserve being hated? I'll tell you what he did. There's so many answers to that, but he shined. He shined. You see, if I'm in darkness and I love it, did you catch that? If I'm in darkness and I love darkness and the light shines, I hate it. I hate the light. John 3.20 Really, from 3.16, where it's God so loved the world, right through 3.20, gives us a lot more information about what the condemnation is. It's not each individual's sin. It's that light has come into the world. 
and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And this is what he's talking about. They, they, don't, they wouldn't have any sin. doesn't mean nobody's a sinner. It means the revelation of man's sin is in its highest, clearest point in the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's where you see what sin does to man. In 320, everyone, everyone who's practicing evil hates the light and will not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. Listen, I was there. That was me. I don't know about all of you. You know, maybe you were born in, a, in one of those butterfly flower gardens. <laughs> but I wasn't. And I fought against the Lord. And I know what darkness is in that sense, at least, as well as other things, because of my own nature, humanly. I'm not better than anyone, but I was there. And I know that when you're in darkness and you're loving it or you don't want light, you run from it. Now, he chose his disciples all disciples throughout the world out of a spiritually dark system of sin led by Satan, the world, not the flowers and the trees and the bushes and the plants. The world, if the world hates you, doesn't mean every single person in the world is going to hate you. If every single person you know hates you, then maybe you should find somebody to talk to about your character, your personality. (laughs) Okay, there's probably stuff going on with you. That isn't Jesus, okay? So don't say, well, everyone just hates me because I'm a Christian. Be careful of that. It's because I'm a Christian. Well, maybe it's not. But as a, in, in general, there's going to be a hatred of those who are in darkness and loving darkness when the light shines. And, and you know, you see it's like this. If I, um, if I played basketball with Miles Bufkins... He's how tall is Miles? He's about four foot tall. I think I can take him, <laughs> even at my decrepit state. And you know, I play basketball against Miles. I look like last I used I used uh, Nick's brother there, Nicholas's brother Noah. But they just told me he's a really good ball player, and he's also grown three feet since I last looked at him. <laughs> so no more. I couldn't do Nicholas. I knew he's too big. Now Noah, I can't do. But Miles, I think I'm okay. So so. So, I go play basketball one-on-one with Miles. I'm great! I can't miss. Well, I can miss, but I get the rebound. (laughs) He can't get the ball from me, and he can't shoot over me. I'm knocking it down. I'm great! But now, here comes Steph Curry. Oh, you don't know him? He's the MVP of the NBA this year. But you're not up top on speed. But You probably know the name King James, LeBron James. You're not up on him. Okay, if Michael Jordan, okay, (laughs) Michael Jordan comes. Kevin, help me out here. There's no athletic uh, interest people here. Uh, I'm having much less care, too. Anyway, so if one of these great athletes comes that I just mentioned and plays against me, all of a sudden, my basketball skills are as filthy rags. Do you get what I'm saying? You know, when you compare with others, it's just foolishness. But, and we're not called to judge everyone's sin and to rate sins in this order of importance or equal or greater and lesser horrible value. God knows that about all the things people do that hide their sin or how people will glory in their sin. But the proof of sin, as we already mentioned, according to Jesus, the proof of sin is rejecting and refusing to come to the light. Now, we can talk about specific sins that are detrimental to you 
and that hinder you and that are offensive to God. That's still true. But he loves you. But the only thing that will keep you from his blessing is hardening your heart in sin, resisting him. So as you sit in a church service, it isn't so much that thing you're doing, but that thing you're doing may be wrong, and God may want to correct it for your benefit and those around you. But the issue is that God's shining light on you. And how, how are you doing with that? When the light shines on your darkness, what do you do? Do you run to the light? Or do you and I run from the light? So we're not placing ourselves, and Jesus isn't placing us above other people. He's talking about what happens in the hearts of humans. So to hide and refuse to come to the light. And, and, you know, so it's going to happen because, you know, you can talk with people about God all day long. Big G, small G, NEG, God. God's so generic to people, it's everything and anything. And we talked about God all day. In what way? When you name the name Jesus, all of a sudden it's like this giant mag light. Because what does Jesus mean? Jehovah is salvation. Jesus hung on a cross and paid for sin. He came and specifically said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. This is bright, bright light shining into our darkness. And it's what makes people mad. They won't really get mad at you, unless they're a complete atheist if you mention God. But most everybody else is like, that's no big deal. But please don't do Jesus, anything but Jesus. You know, one guy said, I, I just don't, why wouldn't somebody like, why wouldn't people like a saved version of you versus the unsaved version of you? You know, well, they didn't like Jesus. And um, we do need to be careful, though. If I'm mean-spirited, if I'm self-serving, if I'm obnoxious and people hate me, I can't put that on Jesus, okay? But Peter says, listen, don't suffer as a Christian for doing wrong. And if you do suffer for doing wrong and you go, oh, well, you're right, I deserve the punishment or to be berated for it, you're not doing anything special. That's, you did something wrong. If you're going to suffer, suffer for doing what's right, and then you have the praise of God in that. Suffer for doing good. Well, this still isn't really, you know, I'm not real happy about this. Why do I have to suffer for doing good? Well, that's all Jesus did is good. And then all he did was suffer, but he didn't only suffer. Jesus told us we will suffer for doing good. And it's easy to say, don't you love it when somebody says, don't take it personally? Well, <laughs> how do I not take it personally? How do I not take it personally when somebody rejects me because I'm a Christian or because I proclaim Jesus Christ? Well, it's still true, even though it's very difficult and we have compassion for each other on, on the struggles. The answer still is, don't take it personally. He says, this they will do for my name's sake. It's because of me. So the question I felt the Lord asked me this week, am I more wounded when people reject me for my faith, am I more wounded for me? Or am I wounded for Jesus? Am I sad that they're rejecting him? Or is it that thing about, gosh, they made me feel uncomfortable, they don't like me anymore, and I really boo-hoo. I'm not saying that we don't go through some of that, but am I more wounded because people reject me or because they're rejecting Jesus? 
And you know, the thing is, is that that's a test of maturity, a test of fruit in the believer. Because here's where I want to be, and I, I know you do too. I want to be when somebody rejects me, and it's not because of my personality, which would be easy to do. But if they reject me because of the faith of Jesus Christ, because it's for his name's sake, I don't want to be angry at them. I want to be worried for them, sad for them. And I want to be grieved for Jesus. Here, once again, Lord, people are still turning their backs to you. Not they're turning their back to me. This has been going on a long time, hasn't it? So he says, remember the word that I said to you. This is great. Scary. What did Jesus say to his disciples earlier? That that if they persecute, remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater as master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Well, there's more. And if you want to find those, don't turn there now, but make a note. Mark, Matthew 10, Mark 13, Luke 21. Specifically, in Matthew 10, 9, Mark 13, 13, Luke 21, 17, and now here, so all four Gospels. A lot of stories in the Bible are not that happened during the time of the Gospels are not listed and expounded on in all four Gospels. Now, I'm not saying some things are more important than another because anything Jesus said and did is important. So how do you do that? But it was something he really wants us to remember. And those four, three verses I gave you, he said, in those verses, you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, I'll just again remind you, it doesn't mean every person in every nation will hate you. But everywhere you go, in every nation, there will be people who hate you. Even in Wilton, Gansvert, Albany, New York City, and nations beyond. I know these aren't nations. You try to follow my brain and get, let it scare you. But don't worry about that. That's okay. He also said in those chapters... A man's enemies will be in his own house, not because you make them an enemy, but they become an enemy to you because they're in darkness. There'll be people who think if they kill you, they're doing God a service. And there's more. You could go ahead and read those chapters. When he says remember, you go, how could you forget? <laughs> how could you forget that he said these things? But you can. And here's the thing. He says, but, but if I could paraphrase Jesus on this sentence, but no worries, I've got a plan. Okay, Lord, what's the plan? Behold, I send you out. In all these places, it says the same thing. I send you out as sheep among wolves. What? <laughs> it's Alistair Biggs talking about another subject similar when Jesus talked about it. said, what kind of operation are we running here? <laughs> what, kind, what kind of deal is this? I send you out as sheep among wolves. Yeah, so be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We aren't here to go toe-to-toe with people for vim and vigor and, you know, spittle, you know, and bulging veins. Lambo. <laughs> My pastor coined that, I think. And it should probably stay there. But anyway, uh, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Wow. Words like these, who could forget? Well, some of you have experienced 
some portion of rejection for your faith. Persecution for your faith, haven't you? Some people in your family and your friends, it was true for me, anything but Jesus. I could have told them I believed anything. I could have told them about all my bad faults that they didn't know about, all the things I'd done wrong and was doing wrong, and that would have been, well, you know, just get better, but okay. But I turned to Jesus. No! (laughs) I don't want to hear it. There's conviction in Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So, so um, this is just the way it is. I didn't make up the story. I'm not apologizing for believing Jesus Christ. Because if I'm in the true spirit of the Lord, if I'm just simply believing his word, people's argument is not with me, it's with God. And I don't control that. I only control my part of that. And there are so many things that we will not give up Christians or non-Christians about our rights. Well, we've given, I've given my right to even decide what's right or wrong to Jesus, haven't you? That's what the Bible tells you. You're, you don't decide what's right and wrong. Did you know that, Christian? You, if you're a Christian, you are not the person deciding what's right and wrong. God is. And you're believing him that he knows what he's talking about. It's very simple. It just ain't easy sometimes. So, um, we've, we've lived in a culture, you know, some of you have experienced some persecution, but most of us from the United States have only recently faced a little bit of what's been going on since the beginning of the church everywhere in the world. You know, the United States of America has a constitution that was designed to protect religious liberty. There, there's zero question about that. The First Amendment is that point. Not to make sure the church didn't infiltrate the state, but that the state couldn't control the church. You know, the churches that's accepted in some of the, in some of the nations, uh, China, and when it was especially communist nations, Hitler had sanctioned churches. They sealed their fate with him and said, we're in agreement with Hitler, his gospel. His way of looking at things. We accept that. We let your leadership... Okay, you guys can meet. But guys like Dietrich Bonhoeffer that started a whole group of churches and was training pastors under the oppression of the Nazis knew that he would come a day where he would die for it. And he did, just before the liberation. Because he taught pastors that we're not here to support Nazism. We're here to preach, preach the gospel. So it's always been in this situation. You can have a state-run church where the state sanctions you, and they tell you what you can preach. In China, the churches that get lots of, that can have buildings and stuff and all this, not exclusively, in many places are the ones that are are government-sanctioned. And they're under the control of the government. But all the underground churches, and now there's a region up in the north of China, God is moving, that they can't control it. There's just churches are blossoming and exploding. Um, Forgot the name of the area. But we've seen a little bit of what the world has seen everywhere through history. And our Constitution was designed to protect religious liberty, not restrict it. But the restrictions seem to be here now in some measure. And it's likely without a real revival, not a real election, a real revival. A real revival, a massive revival. It's not likely to get better. It's likely to get worse. So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, be warmed and filled. Uh, um, so this could shake your faith, right? 
How does people's faith get shaken? Personal troubles, tribulations, where did this come from? I thought God loved me. And collectively, when the church is put under persecution, that could shake your faith, unless your roots are deep, as in Matthew 13. He, in the parable of the sower, planting the seeds in four different places. And one of them was the shallow ground. There was a little bit of soil and rocks right under it. And the seed went only so far down because there's rock there. It couldn't go any further, but the plant sprung up quickly. And it says, when the sun came out, it burned up the plant. Listen, I've shared this many times, but it's powerful. It's God's word. The same sun that's producing fruit in all these other plants, it's the very same sun that gets hot, is burning up this plant. And he's talking about the heat of, he says, but for when persecution or tribulation arises, this plant goes away. They give up their faith. I'm not faithful to you if I don't read John 15 to you. I'm not faithful to you if I don't encourage you and myself. How Are your roots going deep? Is this important to you? Or are you willing to let your faith get blown away? Because it's gonna at some point it's like you are you're, it it matters to you or it doesn't matter to you, and I'm not going to assume everybody's here is just doing just wonderfully on this, or people you know that you can now share this with. Because our roots need to go deep, because the sun is coming out, it always does, and the same sun that makes one plant strong is the same sun that burns up the one that has no roots. The problem wasn't the sun. The problem was the root system. Or your faith can get shaken unless your faith is built on a solid foundation. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Everyone who hears the things that I've been saying to you and does them is like a man who built his house on the rock. Every man who hears, man, woman, person, hears these words of mine and doesn't do them is like a person who built their house on the sand. So, anytime you hear Jesus' words and you go, yeah, whatever, just piling more sand underneath your house. <laughs> he says, and the person, the floods and the winds and the rains came, and they gently tapped on the window, and we sang, raindrops keep falling on my head. The winds and the storms and the rains, winds and the storms and the rains came, and they beat on that house. Did you hear? They beat on that house. And the house that was built on the sand, gone. The house that was built on the rock remained. You are guaranteed. You can count on winds and storms and rains coming, but you can also count on your house standing if it's built on the rock. Do you think maybe Jesus wanted to get our focus and attention because he knew what we're going to face and he loves us too much to say, yeah, just go play, okay? So, okay, Rick, so like, is, is that like it? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> get your roots deep. No, there's another part. Jesus said, in Matthew 16, talking about himself as being the answer to Peter, saying, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. On this rock, 
Speaking of building your house on a rock, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against. Most of you know that a gate is not a weapon. You know, I know that Samson used gates as a weapon, but that was a weird situation. It's unique. Gates are defensive things on a wall of a city to keep stuff out, keep stuff in. So Satan has gates to keep people locked up in their sin and darkness. Satan has gates set up to keep Christians from knocking them down and reaching out to other people. Is that true? It says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church needs to go on the offensive, not be offensive. <laughs> go on the offensive. It needs, the church needs to get into the ministry. So on the back of your bulletin, there's a scripture that I want everybody to have the same translation and read it together. So I just, we don't really use the overhead screen. It costs way too much money to keep the electricity going. No, but... <laughs> It just seems like something we kind of use our interactive bulletin so you can take it home and remember what we talked about, maybe write notes in it if you choose to. I'm going to give you eight things here. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Isn't this great? We, Paul the Apostle, talking to the church at Corinth, which was not apostles, and uh, they were disciples, they were believers. And he goes, we, you and I, all Christians, have received this ministry I know you might not be clear on your ministry right now. Maybe that's a prayer you're praying. Maybe you need to talk with others and pray. Maybe you need to look into what God would have you do in specifics that can happen. But we have all received this ministry. He'll, he'll show you what it is. And we have received mercy. And I'm pretty sure we've all received mercy or we wouldn't be sitting here. So because of this, there's eight things I want to bring to you out of these verses here that are additional, or how you handle this issue. Okay, you're going to be hated by all nations. Uh, these, they're going to do this because of my, a me. What, how should you deal with this, and what should you do? Well, since we have this ministry, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. Number one, don't lose heart. Where did you get encouragement? Directly from the true vine. Why are you saved? Some of you will say, I'm a Christian because I grew up in a Christian home. Do you know that God placed you in that home? He had you born there. He knew that that's exactly where you needed to be. So, and you would get a head start on a lot of other people, like me, who wasn't born in a Christian home. Maybe you'd have to deal with hypocrisy in your home and learn about that so that you could be the true deal. Maybe you grew up in a home that was nominally Christian. Maybe you didn't. Wherever you started... You have received mercy, and you have been saved because God loves you and has called you out. And he doesn't love you more than other people. So don't lose heart. Connect to the true vine. He's gone before us, and he lives in us. We could do a whole study on don't lose heart. Number two, but we have renounced, in verse two, the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, schemery, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Not only, number one, do we not lose heart, but number two, we renounce the darkness. Where do you renounce the darkness? Wherever it's hiding. Okay, in you and outside of you. I am convicted about me and any darkness that's in me. It's also that word, word renounce has the... Uh, uh, measure to it of being a verbal renouncing. 
It can be both silently by your lifestyle, but it also is a verbal where you actually stand up. Listen, I don't go into a building when I was at work. When I was working at Target, at the Target store, I didn't walk in the door in the morning and look around and go, who's in sin here that needs to be rebuked? <laughs> did you, did you, I don't know if anybody else, said, if you go to work that way, but I've never gone to work that way. Usually I'm going to work, Lord, keep me from sin, <laughs> that I don't have to get rebuked by a non-believer, <laughs> because it could happen. But I also know you want to use me here. And as I'm engaging with people and things come up, and I'm a jovial, friendly guy, and I like to engage and maybe crack a joke or two, and suddenly the jokes come back in a way that's ungodly. And I still don't rail on people, but, you know, if somebody says, feels very comfortable with me to say, hey, how about the guy who committed adultery and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I go, hey, you know what? That adultery is not a pretty picture. I've seen a lot of pain from that. All I've ever seen from that is pain. So I don't know why you would think it's so funny. Have you thought about that? I'm reproving the unfruitful works of darkness. I'm renouncing the things of darkness. I don't just go, oh. <laughs> now, I don't, please, I don't have a book I've written on everything you say to a person when they say this to you. I have the Holy Spirit living in me, and sometimes he has me very, very, very patient and wait. Sometimes he has you speak. But... We are so tone deaf, no offense, but we, what it is is our culture is so filled with darkness that we almost, you almost have to um, pad yourself to it in a wrong way. It's okay if it affects you. It should affect you. It's okay if it bothers you. It should bother you. Not to the point where you're railing on people, screaming at people, and all frustrated, but where you care. And you look at that as an opportunity to turn the conversation around. Does that make sense? Okay. Don't lose heart. Number two, renounce the things of darkness. And, you know, the first place has got to be in me. And I've got some renouncing that has to be done. You know, on a, over the course of time, there's just no question in my life. Number three, don't be deceitful. It's in there. Not walking craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully. Well, why would we be deceitful uh, if we're sincere? Listen, Paul says there, there would be the attempt to gain something through what you do. Protect yourself at, God's words, at, at the expense of God's word or to be self-serving, using the Bible to get what you want. Let me go over those quickly. Protecting yourself at the expense of God's word. You know, it's more important to you that people like you that they can diss God's word. Again, we're not arming our machine guns to go blast people for being wrong. Or saying bad things. We're not here to be everybody's judge. But I have to ask myself honestly, is the reason I'm quiet or reserved or not engaging because I'm protecting myself? Is the reason I didn't challenge that thought? Everybody else was pouring out their thoughts. didn't matter what they said. They could say whatever they want. But I was very careful because I didn't want to be thought of as this. I protected myself. At the expense of God's word. And listen, you can be a pastor and do that in a counseling session. Because God's word is really clear about what you're supposed to do with this person or people that are sitting with you. But you want them to like you. Does anybody here like to be liked? Let me, let me put it this way. How many of you hope nobody likes you? We can arrange it. <laughs> I could give lessons. But, <laughs> but listen, you know, the goal isn't to be liked. It's to love and to give 
and to be true. And I don't think you have to be obnoxious to everybody, but you have to be straight. So don't protect yourself at the expense of God's word. And don't be self-serving, using the Bible to get what you want in marriage, in a job situation, with your friends, whatever. Meaning, you can find verses to back you up to just about anything you want to say or do. You can make yourself look like you're right and everybody else is wrong. Have you noticed that people can do that with the Bible? What's your goal? Is it to help and to redeem, or are you trying to get something out of somebody? Paul says, we weren't trying to get anything out of you. We're just honestly giving you God's word. Our conscience is clear. Don't lose heart. Renounce the darkness. Don't be deceitful. Number four, but even if our gospel um, is veiled in verse three, it is veiled to those who are perishing. You know, Don't be deceitful and do realize, number four, that people without Jesus are blind. Don't hate them. Love them. This is that thing earlier about are you more more troubled because somebody rejected you or because they're rejecting Jesus that you're sharing? That's a hard one. I, I, I totally admit that, but it's still right, and there's fruit in letting go of that, overcoming that. People are blind without Jesus. Don't hate them, love them. How? The weapons of our warfare, Ephesians 6, are not carnal, physical, but they're mighty through God. They're spiritual. Pulling down strongholds is one place, but also in Ephesians 6, we don't war in the flesh, and we don't war against flesh and blood, but we war in the spirit. You know, there's a movie out called War Room. I have no... I'm not surprised at all that the secular media would just rip it up one side and down the other. It was written to Christians. It was produced for Christians. A non-believer would have all kinds of reasons to go, what? In, in fact, I read one where the lady said, and I, I, I didn't really think of it. I did at the movie. I thought, it's a, it is simplistic, okay, but it's a good simplistic. But only for a Christian. It's like our Bible study right now or somebody God is dealing with. Because she said, oh, I guess you're, you have to be... You have to be uh, totally believe in Jesus, and you have to be chauvinistic because it was all the woman's fault. So she should pray for her husband, like that's the way she looked at it. And I understand that for a secular person, she said, "There's this woman that her husband was kind of being a rat, and somebody else told her you need to get in the war room and pray the right. You need to pray." And yeah, everything worked out rosy, and you could fault that too. There's things you could fault with the movie as a non-believer or as a Christian critic. But if you were looking to get a message about prayer, you got it. If you had a sincere desire to learn about prayer and to be encouraged that way, you got it. So it's all your perspective. And I expected the world to not love this movie. (laughs) They're shocked that it's done so well. It was totally not written to non-believers. Not even a thought about how they'd look at it. And normally I'd think that's stupid to do. But I was encouraged about prayer, because it goes right along with what God's showing us. Now, let's leave that. It's a movie. Ephesians 6 is Ephesians 6. <laughs> okay? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 is 2 Corinthians 10 through 5. We pull down strongholds in every imagination that raises itself up against God's word and God's truth. We need to learn to pray. And when you come up against obstacles, you pray not just against how it bothers you, but you pray for the spiritual work that needs to be done. So, 
We don't lose heart. We renounce the darkness. We don't be deceitful. We realize people without Jesus are blind, and we pray for them. And number five, whose minds, in verse four, the God of this age has blinded. See, this is what Jesus is talking about, Paul is talking about. Whose minds, the God, small g, which is Satan, of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, we don't preach ourselves. And that's in verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. I kind of read that verse a second time, I think, or didn't read it earlier, so that's the confusion. But we're on verse 5. We don't preach ourselves, and that's the point. Don't preach yourself. In other words, my goal isn't for everyone to know... uh, you know, ask Adirondack Christian Fellowship into your heart and you'll be saved. How about this? You use your name instead of mine. Mine's even more annoying, but yours is close. Ask Rick Cohen into your heart and you'll be saved. Pretty sad, isn't it? Very depressing. Hopeless. Okay, everybody has a bent. Everybody has an angle. I know we all do kind of a style, a pattern, a way that you see scripture and things and you do the best you can to, to be right. Uh, one of the things I try to do is not make one point of scripture everything. So that every conversation has to be about my fine point about when when is the rapture going to happen. You're entitled to hold your belief about the rapture, whether it's even going to happen or when it's going to happen. But what if you met somebody and you couldn't have a conversation where they didn't say, well, you know, it's pre-trib rapture or it's post-trib rapture. Yeah, wasn't Jesus good? Did you pray today? Yes, I prayed that people who don't see that it's post-trib rapture would see that it's post-trib rapture. <laughs> uh, you know, what's the Lord been showing you lately? He's been showing me that I need to tell people about the post-trib rapture <laughs> or pre-trib rapture. Do you get what I'm saying? You can't have a conversation with them except about this one area of Scripture that they're totally focused on when the issue is Jesus. Isn't he great? Do you know him, Ann Lynn? You do, don't you? Me too. Is he good to you? He's good to me, yes. Do you have troubles? Me too. Do you fell short? Me too. Isn't it great God forgives both of us? Hallelujah. Our fellowship is in Jesus Christ, not our fine points of doctrine, not our church as a... You know, I hope you're glad about this place and can invite people here. Why wouldn't I want you to? Why would you be here if you didn't? Yeah, I go to church. No, don't come to my church. <laughs> You'll hate it. Now, there are people that would hate it. But, <laughs> we, <laughs> but, but you know, of course, of course, but when, you, when you're sharing Christ, make sure you're sharing Christ. Share Jesus. Who, who is he? And then, for we do not preach ourselves with Jesus Christ and ourselves bondservants for Jesus' sake. Number six, not only don't preach yourself, but be a servant. Jesus came as servant to all, didn't he? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all, he said. He who is greatest among you will be among you as a servant. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And that really goes a long ways with people when they see that you don't have a lot of airs you're putting on, don't need a lot of personal attention to be lifted up above them, but you'll just roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty and help them and serve. And then, for, uh, for it is God, verse 6, um, who commanded light to shine in our hearts, shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Remember from where you've come. Where have you come from? Well, I just live over there. No, where did you come from spiritually? I'll tell you where I came from. Darkness. Rebellion. Pride. Selfishness. And I was thought to be a kind of a nice guy. But I know where I came from. I know what was in my heart to some degree. And I'm not better than anybody else. I need to remember from where I've come, out of darkness. And finally, and it's kind of, it's, it's embedded in all of this, may I say, number eight, rejoice in the light as you're on your own. Rejoice in the light with Jesus when you can. Have your candle shine, you're out in the dark, and you look at your candle, meaning, meaning you have this time with Jesus and you thank him for what he's done for you, not just when you come to church and sing songs, and you think about who he is, and you pray accordingly, and you give him honor, but also do it with others. Because we've all seen all the concerts, you know, in the last 20 years, you know, it's not candles. Our Christmas Eve services have the candles, you know. We turn out the lights and start lighting candles, and pretty soon all the candles in a room, it's hotter, it's like 10 degrees hotter, and it's really bright, really. Isn't it cool when we have, if you've been to a candlelight service? Or if you go to the concert and everybody whips out their cell phone and they're going like this. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's gotten pretty old now. But isn't it amazing in a whole stadium when every cell phone is on, all the light. Because the collective light is brighter than the individual light. We were called to collective light and individual light. You need your own time with God. You need your own relationship with God. You need that. But you also need to be with the body. And that's why on the front of your bulletin, our final verse, in our interactive, multicolored bulletin, (laughs) Lisa, many people commented positively about the multicolors, so you feel free to do all you want. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting, encouraging one another so much more as you see the day approaching. So you have to ask yourself, if you're very young here, uh, you probably might not get a clear picture on this. If you're a little older, you've probably been saying to yourself, I see the day approaching. Things are getting pretty intense. There isn't very many people I meet that say, Everything's the same. Everything's fine. Most people I meet go, wow, things are crazy. Just right in our own country, in the world situation, in whatever avenue you want to drive down, you find craziness, it seems, and intensity. And it seems that people are, and and all our news people are saying it. Nobody's saying, people who are saying, yeah, our country can get on the right track and be fine, are also each and every one of them, each and every one of them are saying, our country's in desperate trouble. That's pretty heavy when the the guys who are going for office say our country is in very deep trouble. If something doesn't change here, you know, we really need, no matter what their view is, they're all saying it. So so I'm not making this up for you. You can just see if you see the day approaching, but, but here's the point. Rejoice in the light by yourself and with others because our hearts is, need to meld together. And, 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 and the point is hold tight to your faith and hold tight to your brother and sister. Hold tight to your faith. But there are a lot of people that say, I do hold tight to my faith. Thank you very much. I listen on the internet to Bible studies. I have books I read. I do whatever I do. And I'm fine. 
leave me alone. <laughs> well, none of us really go and pursue those people with annoyance. But I'm not sure we're right. <laughs> I'm not sure we shouldn't annoy some people who should be in fellowship. And I think what I'm really talking about, though, is you and me and whoever else we know. Hold on to your faith with one hand. There's a song back from my day that means multi-decades ago. Okay. With one hand, reach out to Jesus. And with the other, bring a friend. With one hand, reach out to Jesus. And with the other, bring a friend. I mean, this is the point is that we have a relationship with God and we have a relationship with each other. And brothers and sisters, we need each other because that one candle will provide a little light and a little warmth, but a lot of candles provide a lot of warmth. And my heart can grow cold. In fact, Jesus himself said that because iniquity would abound in the last days, the agape of many which is God's love, God's all-giving, sacrificial love. It was Christian love. Now, I'm going to explain something here because we're not... The word agape was not a Christian word. It was just a Greek word. But the Christians grabbed that word and took it. When John was writing, he wrote in Greek. When Jesus was talking, he wasn't talking in Greek. But when he said, the love of many will grow cold, and John remembered it, the, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, John said, what word do I use for that love he's talking about? Agape. Christian love. Between believers, for each other, to care. It can get sucked out of your bottom of your foot. Not really, but you know my point. And all it takes is somebody mistreating you, something going wrong, somebody looking at you wrong, somebody not calling you for something, whatever, or you have trouble in your life and you just don't want that exposed. So the best thing to do is just run and hide. Let me, let me be as humble and clear as like, you're wrong. <laughs> you're hurting yourself. Don't do it. It's a temptation for me. It's a temptation for you. We're human. The agape should not grow cold. We need to fight that. So finally, he says, and thank you for your patience, and for, I won't, we won't develop this, it'll go into next week, but I'll read it. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, chapter fifteen twenty six, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. We'll pick this thought up next week, because he's going to say, he's going to continue his thinking here, and we'll pick it up with the Lord Jesus uh, the best that we can. But it's as if, to me, he's saying, and I'm paraphrasing my Lord, and I'm doing it probably to damage. But, boys, I'm not asking you to do this for me, but to do this with me. And what's more, I'm actually asking you to let me do it for and through you. Because I'm sending you my spirit. You're not alone, even when you're alone. They're not hating you, they're hating me. I'm with you, and I'm never going to leave you. And the reward for loving me and following me far exceeds on this side the damage and trouble and pain that's going to come to you from those who hate me and from having trouble because you're a Christian. You will have it, but, it, you're, but that's a vapor, and it's gone. And this, my love for you, with you, in you, and through you, and everybody you reach your hand out to because you never know which one's going to grab it, is going to go on forever. And forever, my friends, is a long time.
Let's stand.